thing we'd done was wrong Staying in the wilderness too long Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on The only thing we'd done was right Was the day we started to fight Keep your eyes on the prize You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. Let's turn to our guest, Scott Dye. And Scott is working with Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. He's field coordinator for a whole bunch of states. Washington, Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma. So we're going to talk to Scott about his projects and uh, I guess a little bit about what you've been, where you've been traveling these days. So maybe we'll just start with what is, now see, I've been calling it SRAP. But that's not what you call it. You you have another way to... Yeah, we can go with SREP. We can go with the SRA project. Some folks in the industrial agriculture uh, movement, they call us other things that aren't as polite. Oh, hey, hey, they call <laughs> you impolite stuff. They call us impolite stuff, but that's Gosh. okay. We've been around about, uh, uh, most of our organizers, about, about 20 years. Uh, we're the only national organization that has people scattered all across the country. Most of them come from a farm background like I do, 133-year-old mm-hmm. family farm in northern Missouri. Unfortunately, have 80,000 Chinese-owned hogs as next-door neighbors. Uh, one of the only uh, organizations in the country that actually go around and help communities that have asked for our assistance in trying to keep factory farms from being built in their communities. So I often say that uh, the reason I'm there in their community is to make sure that what happened in my community doesn't happen to their community Mm. anywhere ever again. So is there such a thing as success in keeping these factories, really, they're they're really, we shouldn't call them farms, in keeping them out of a community? Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my uh, stops on this last trip was in North Dakota and a pipestone facility. Uh, That name probably sounds familiar to folks. And uh, there's two up there, one of over 9,000 mothering sows. We've kept that out for now going on four years. And another one of uh, 1,250 sows, we've kept it out for over a year now. So. It's not easy, but when folks in rural communities pull themselves together, they can work together to keep these things things out. It seems like there's a lot of government support for these factories here in our state. Are all states sort of competing to get more of these factories in there? It, you know, it just, uh, a climate does put a lot to it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of folks are aware that Wisconsin's called America's dairy lands on their license plate. Dairy cows do particularly well in the mm-hmm. mild summers and the cold winters that they have in Wisconsin. Missouri, unfortunately, we get uh, big chicken, big turkey, big pig, big dairy, big everything because we're kind of right here in the hot, humid, temperate part of the uh, country. Uh, Washington State uh, is almost exclusively large dairies. 
Iowa and Illinois almost uh, exclusively large industrialized hog operations. So, so climate definitely does pay, play a difference into it. Does the state government encourage them in these other states? or uh, it, Because it does seem I, like Missouri has... It, yeah, your question is, what is it random luck or is there something that attracts them to certain places mm -hmm. yes politicians that take a lot of money off large-scale industrialized agriculture that's why these things and just to give you a sense of scale you know right now i believe we crossed the 500 uh, threshold mark for factory farms in missouri iowa has more than 10,000. they don't know because they only have 13 inspectors for however many concentrated animal feeding operations CAFOs or factory farms that they have Eastern North Dakota has been promoting these things through the government for about 10 years. They have 440. North Dakota, uh, where I was, again, just recently at, they have the strongest anti-corporate farming law in the country. They have only 76, all of, which, all of which are owned by North Dakota family farmers. Wow. Wow. So see, there's a real difference. North Dakota? You said that's North Dakota? Or yeah, so? North Dakota is oh, actually, wow. uh, believe it or not, much more progressive state than a lot of people give it credit for. Uh, you're right. I've, I've heard this. We one of the, one of the fascinating things about North Dakota yeah. is it's the, uh, the only state in the country that has a uh, farmer-owned, state-owned, state mill, state elevator, and state bank that was set up in 1915 by the Socialist Nonpartisan League. And if you run on the Democratic ticket in North Dakota, you usually run as a Democrat MPL nonpartisan league politician. Wow, mm -hmm. what a we got a lot to learn from North Dakota. Really, yes, we, yes, we do. do. <laughs> the state bank is pretty fascinating oh, when you man. think that uh, think of how much money the the state government handles and here in Missouri, it's not going into a state bank. It's, I mean, North Dakota is the only one that has a state bank. Yeah, and North Dakota, you know, I think a lot of people would be surprised. You know, a lot of people think if you haven't been there, it's just kind of a vast wasteland yeah. of, you mm -hmm. know, uh, badlands out west, mm -hmm. and, you know, corn and beans in the east. But actually, North Dakota ranks number one, two, or number three in 17 food crops in the United States. Food crops well, like uh, beans, like pinto beans. Beans, lentils. Uh, lentils. There. And it hasn't been without a fight. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, that that uh, law uh, was first passed in 1933. It was the second wow. state in the country to pass an anti-corporate farm law. Unbelievable. It's been voted on by the people of North Dakota five times, most recently 2016. Every vote has been 70% or more of the people supporting keeping North Dakota agriculture owned by North Dakota farmers. And if you think of like a, a rural kind of red area you know i would put north dakota in that but evidently they've got some tradition there yep they do wow. and they want to keep it that way that's, that's great that's impressive well good to hear it's good to hear that yeah. there's some some folks keeping up the faith now here in missouri to to move back to our home state here we have been experiencing quite a few concentrated animal feeding operations coming in and the name pipestone is um a familiar name connected with that yeah pipestone is one that everybody needs to get very familiar with because uh pipestone right now in the uh, top 40 u.s pork production companies vertically integrated factory farms they rank number three uh, last year, they were ranked uh, number seven or number eight. They've added 55,000 sows just between 2016 and 2017. Of those 55,000, uh, you know, like this year alone, just in 2018, the, the one that just is being built now in Cooper County, 7,400 sows. There's two 5,000 sow operations or 10,000 sows in Wisconsin. The two that I mentioned in North Dakota that so far we've stopped them. And, and here's what everybody really needs to understand. We're not just talking about singular hog factories. 
the industry model these days is to not have to go through a public process where people can speak out against them. Mm-hmm. So when they raise the sows, the mothers raise the baby piglets on these facilities, they put them into facilities that are that hold 2,499 hogs. One hog underneath the, the point where they would need to get a permit, a public hearing, oh. an appeal process. So when you're when you're looking at just uh, at Pipestone's you know current production, if they got all the cell operations they're working on just this year done, you're talking about over twenty nine thousand cells that would create seven hundred twenty two thousand five hundred hogs. And if you take that number divided into two thousand four hundred ninety nine, which is how they avoid any kind of regulation and oversight, you're talking about two hundred eighty nine hog factories that's going to be scattered through those three states. So where's all this pork going? mostly overseas mm-hmm. um, you know the number one pork producer in the country is wh group who was formerly known as smithfield uh, a lot of folks in missouri that have been around for a long time might remember that it started off as premium standard farms in northern mm-hmm. missouri and then when it was purchased by continental grain mm-hmm. then that was purchased by smithfield and smithfield was purchased by wh group who was out of uh china the purchase was financed by the chinese government Uh so you know it's essentially a chinese government owned facility and uh if if folks take away nothing from this they need to understand that 25 percent of all united states pork production now is controlled by this chinese government one company now does that mean when you say they are the they own the company is the land for say they build these 240 whatever do they own the land they own it all it's uh, the reason okay. uh, I'm, i've used the term i should probably explain better vertical integration yeah that means that they own it literally from uh semen to cellophane to, on the shelf they own the mm. the buildings they own the land that they spread the waste okay. on that they call fertilizer they own the trucking companies they yeah. own the slaughterhouses they own it all. Two years ago, the law was changed in Missouri so that uh, more land could be owned by foreign ownership. Is it how how much land do you remember? I Scott? can't remember exactly, Margo, yeah. uh, but it, it's a. Uh, it seems like 200,000 acres yeah. uh, sticks in my mind. 200,000 So acres. last That's year there was a coalition of organizations that were trying to roll that back uh, because, of right. course, you know, if we lose if we lose the rights to our land, then, well, what, what do we have left? Surprisingly, that is not a partisan issue. Uh, both no, Democrats correct. and Republicans are looking at this and saying, I really don't understand how the Chinese government or Chinese companies, or Brazilian companies like JBS, who's the fourth largest beef packer mm-hmm. in the world, or yeah. some of these other foreign companies. How is that good for Missouri agriculture, Missouri farmers, or mm-hmm. rural Missouri communities to have your land foreign control? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. right. And Scott, up where your family was from, up in Putnam County, so, um, and you still own that farm up there. 133 years of counting, we got deep roots. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that farm, you have uh, neighbors, neighboring farms that are now, that you grew up with probably as, you know, neighbors, but now they are owned by Chinese corporations. Yes, and if you would have told me as a youngster that I would have ever wound up growing up and having the Chinese government as my next door neighbor, uh, I would have just laughed you out of the county. I, I wouldn't have believed it. No. I know, and it happened so, uh, you know, sort of gradually where, well, when Premium Standard Farms came in, they bought a lot of land to begin with. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
And then eventually, they went bankrupt a couple of times, didn't they? Yeah, went bankrupt a couple of times, got sued by the Attorney General a couple of times, got sued by the EPA a couple of times, got sued by about 285 to 340 families over um, Clean Water Act violations and over um, nuisance uh, uh, odors and trespass. So, uh, been a lot of, been a lot, been talking to a lot of lawyers for a lot of years on this thing. (laughs) And unfortunately, nothing's, you know, Nothing's really changed. You know, people say, well, you know, they've been there for 24, 25 years. What's really happened? Well, you know, the thing that's really changed is still smells like 80,000 hogs and it's Chinese company. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I should point out, it's not just the 80,000 head finishing facility by me, which is, you know, if somebody wants to know what that looks like, that's 72 <clears throat> metal buildings where the hogs never go outside never see daylight except through curtains each building owns uh, or has 1108 hogs there's nine pods of eight buildings each all the feces and uh, urine are liquefied and they go in nine uh, giant dirt pits in the ground that they call lagoons i call them cesspits four surface acres each so that's that's what we're talking about four acres of lagoon oh. yeah and and in in the three uh four or five county area up there that same company uh raises between 2.3 and 2.5 million hogs per year wow so scott you know we hear a lot about tariffs and i'm wondering if the tariffs are affecting these companies as they export the hogs back to back to china or or are they somehow exempt from, since this is Chinese, does it mean they don't have to pay the tariffs? I'm just asking. Huh? You're, you're exactly right, Margo, because oh. they own everything. You uh-huh. know, they would be paying a tariff on themselves and what they already own. Mm-hmm. So while it is hurting a lot of other larger producers right now with mm-hmm. the tariffs, it's not having a meaningful impact on Smithfield. Wow. And, you know, that's what folks really need to understand is, you know, we're not eating appreciably any more meat than we were in this country or pork yeah. especially than when you know 25 years ago people are actually eating less meat all the time all this stuff is all this expansion is really just for exports yeah. you know it's just basically and you know they say you know well we got to feed the world we got to feed the yeah. world and you know <laughs> all i can say to people that say we got to feed the world is show me the starving kids in ethiopia that are eating brie cheese and drinking whole <laughs> milk and pork and chops pork chops you know that's we're feeding the world that has the money to pay for our exports yeah that is a good addendum now back back to the tariff we are adding tariffs on steel aluminum um, some manufactured goods that are coming out of china China. and then china puts tariffs is retaliating on pork yes and soybeans coming into yeah and soybeans coming into china Mm -hmm. is that right so then smithfield produces pork in U.S., are they getting tariffed on their products going back to China? No, they're not. And you know, oh. actually, uh, Smithfield not only is uh, the uh, not only do they control about twenty six, twenty seven percent of the U.S. Uh, pork market. You know, Smithfield also has a huge number of sows in China. They're mm-hmm. China's largest pork yeah. producer too. They also have sows in uh, Mexico, Romania, and Poland. So this wow. is. This is not uh, your grandpa's hog farm. Well, do you suppose the day will come when they will build up their businesses in China and uh, Mexico and um, these other countries to the point that they don't have to import out of the U.S. anymore? 
I think that's possible. I think a more likely scenario that's going to uh, happen to this industry beforehand is uh, endemic disease problems. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, Dr. John Eichert, who many people are familiar with mm-hmm. here, Professor Emeritus Aggie Khan uh, here at the University of Missouri, he says it in one sentence. If it's not sustainable, it's not going to be sustained. I, mean, I can't tell you if that's 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, or whatever, but at some point, this industry will collapse upon itself because it, by its very nature, it uses up all the workers, all the land, you know, all the goodwill. Sure. You yeah, know, man, and man, it's man. just, it's uh, not not built for the long haul the way that our uh, fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers' farms were built. So it's that short-term thinking again where somebody's just, they're going to make a profit right now, now in the next five years yeah, the next you, you might wonder why why would they go into business with something that's not sustainable like that they, if, if they if they look at it clearly they're going to realize they're not going to make money in the long term well and i i think you're i think we're really entering a period with the tariffs depending on how long they last yeah back in 1998 when a lot of the largest factory hog farms in the country you know hogs got down to eight cents a hundredweight people were giving them away i mean you know you couldn't yeah. you couldn't it was what i called a game of last man standing i think these companies are doing that right now yeah they want to be one of the one uh. of the top 10 and there's not going to be anything but the top 10 but again you know i think i, I think their biggest concern is because of the cramped conditions and the confinement and the, the fact that they have to fill these things full of subtherapeutic antibiotics, I think the disease is actually going to get them probably before market forces do. Uh, some of them, I couldn't even pronounce, some I can, are like PEDV, porcine epi- oh, right. epidemic diarrhea virus, kills you know every piglet in the herd. Porcine respiratory, uh, resp- uh, respiratory reproductive uh, syndrome, kills every hog in the building and now they're they're in just in the last two weeks the chinese operations yep. have developed african swine feed and they're terrified that that's going to find its way from asia mm-hmm. to the united states and if it does it could literally wipe out you know entire hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of barns if not thousands of barns and possibly millions of animals yeah it's just a kind of theoretical thing so everyone thinks oh not me but this is real that's like uh, same musical chairs, and you know you're mm. just hoping you're not the one left standing or gets caught with the disease, you know whatever. And meanwhile, it's our food supply, it's our livelihoods, it's our next door neighbors. And ironically, you know, as, as uh, recently as the 50s and 60s, food was considered to be a national security interest. Yeah, you we, this this government wanted everything as spread out in agriculture as they possibly could get it. Mm. They encouraged people to grow whatever you could grow in whatever state. Really? Wow. And then 1972, Nixon, his uh, culture chief, was a guy named Earl Butts, and his motto was get big or get out. Wow. And so everybody got big. And then came the farm crisis of the 80s, and everybody got out because they'd leveraged themselves so much. And it it was a horrible time to live through because, you know, not only did people lose their fathers or grandfathers or great grandfathers, multi generation farms. A lot of suicides, a lot of farmer oh, suicides, man. because, you know, when you lose, when you lose a generational historical family farm like that, you haven't just lost your livelihood. Yeah. You really feel like you've, you know, you know you've let down your family, your, so you know, your father guilt. and your grandfather oh, that helped you build this thing. Oh, geez. So, 
So much guilt. Well, we're talking to Scott Dye, who is talk, telling us about the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project. Field coordinator. Field, Field coordinator, coordinator. Agitator in chief. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott works in several states, more or less on the northern tier of the of the United States, I guess you would call it the yep. northern northern row of the United States. But we're lucky enough to have him here in Missouri today. We were talking about the expansion of the Chinese hog yeah. raising model here in in Missouri actually and in the United States. And we we have sworn to each other that we're going to stop and have the good news Oh, ending for this program because there is there are a few rays of there is. of light and one of the concerns really is thinking about food security and about what the United States should be raising for ourselves mm-hmm. and and preserving our natural resources at the same time well and certainly if you know if you are fortunate to love, live in Boone County a lot of mid Missouri you know, we've got some great places to eat. You know, we've got some great mm-hmm. restaurants like Cafe Berlin, Broadway Brewery. Uh, you know, we've got great farmers' cooperatives. We've got the urban gardens. I mean, you've yep. got a lot of great opportunities in this town to eat uh, right. So that's a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it is important that we do talk about some positive things because it can sound a bit doom and gloom when you uh, look at the big picture. But things will turn itself around. And I think I think with each passing year, I think your uh, people are understanding now that just because it says free range doesn't mean that they're right. happy chickens. That it could mean that they're just uh, chickens that are stuck in a big building but right. not really scratching around on the grass and stuff. And at the same time, we have we have chickens that we can access that are happy chickens and out scratching around in the ground. If we yeah. we might have to look a little harder for that, but we've got some really great producers here in Mid Missouri that um, actually it's about chicken butchering season for yes, our, it is. for our wonderful local farmers. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we will be able to get that yeah. locally produced bird. Well, um, you. We were going to talk a little bit about where you've been and what you've been doing. And as I mentioned before, you kind of specialize in the northern tier of states in the United States, and uh, that's where you have been coming from. And and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about what's going on in the states that you specialize in. I like to be up in the uh, the northern latitudes. I really do like the people and the history up there. Yeah. Um, increasingly, I'm up there because of the, you know, the 10,000 factory farms in Iowa. Mm. And there's, there's about 1,300, 1,350 more in southern Minnesota. Ten, uh, that, wait a second. In comparison, Missouri has how many? About 550, I believe. 550 in Missouri, 10,000 in Iowa. 10, yeah, and, 10, and that's just their wow. guess because 13 inspectors have pretty long days to yeah. try to get around all 10,000 and see how much they really do have. Oh, my gosh. So in, yeah, so basically they have, uh, to use an old uh, uh, Missouri term, they've kind of pooped their nest in Iowa and uh, <laughs> southern Minnesota. So they're on the move. They've got these disease problems that are wiping out their herds right and left. Mm-hmm. So increasingly they're putting a lot of pressure on states like North Dakota, which is wide open spaces, and South Dakota, oh, which yeah. is wide open spaces, Kansas and uh uh nebraska and oklahoma all three of them right now are facing unprecedented expansions in broiler chicken poultry uh, uh factory farms oh. they're in each one of those states they're wanting to build somewhere between six and eight hundred uh 
uh, barns that would hold somewhere around thirty to 50,000 chickens each. <gasps> and these are for brand new slaughterhouses that uh, Simmons is putting up a, a slaughterhouse expansion, Deca- uh, Decatur, Arkansas. Uh, Tyson's Foods was looking at trying to do one near Coffeyville, Kansas, but it appears that uh, the uh, county of Humboldt, Tennessee, is going to give them more uh, lucre and largesse, so it's probably going uh-huh. to be built there because they're getting more corporate tax breaks. Oh, my. And then, of course, uh, Wisconsin, which has traditionally been nothing but a dairy state, now for the first time they're actually starting to see, you know, literally tens of thousands of hogs come in and, you know, huge operations of 5,000 hogs or more. Wow. Same way in uh, uh, Michigan. So really the uh, again the industry uh pressure put on by the uh endemic disease in these facilities is really putting them on the move and that's where we're getting calls and you know one thing i do want to really emphasize about our organization we don't go out looking for fights almost everybody that works for us uh either as a consultant or as an employee and there's less than two dozen of us we all come from farm backgrounds and are still actively farming and uh, in most cases we had somebody built what we consider to be hell out of our backyard, which is how I got involved in this in 1994 yeah. when they built the one by me. So uh, we do this because we are truly passionate about it. We don't believe that the vision that they see for rural America is the one that uh, is the appropriate vision for rural America. A strong ally for us in North Dakota is the uh, tribal leadership at the Spirit Lake Nation. Mm. Uh, Devil's Lake, uh, North Dakota, uh, was... Uh, improperly translated by the Anglos from Spirit Lake, which is what the Spirit Lake Nation uh, called it, and their vice chairman. We recently had uh, two big public hearings up there that drew somewhere between five and 600 people at the two hearings, one in the town of Devil's Lake and one at the Spirit Lake Nation Resort. And uh, those were started off by uh, tribal chairman Yankton, mm. asking everybody to be courteous and respectful and to uh, treat each other with the dignity and respect that they would want to be treated with. Mm -hmm. Then he had the tribal elder come up and and basically convey convey the same thoughts in both English and in their native Lakota Sioux language. Mm. So uh, these, uh, the the folks that are living on the... uh, the tribal reservations, the the Indian nations, you know, and these are, in fact, sovereign nations, you know. To, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't, aren't aware of that, but it's not part of North Dakota. It is a sovereign nation, spirit-like nation. This is uh, the complete antithesis of the way that they believe that animals should be treated, that people should be treated, and that our natural resources should be, should be treated. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's really a great honor and a pleasure to work with folks like that. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know, uh, I went to one of the SRAP uh, conventions in Wisconsin, and that was also on a Native American um, tribal land. Yes, the Oneidas, and we still work closely with the Declaration of Independence. It enumerates certain uh, inalienable rights, you know, the right to live uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And if those rights are not specifically taken as uh, part of the function of the federal government or enumerated to the states, People can act on their own, and increasingly they are. They're passing laws at the township level, at the county level. Now, you know, organizations like the Farm Bureau and the, you know, the, uh, the CAFO industry, they hate this. They want to see uniform laws all the way across the board. But uh, they are finding ways to do it, and they're being successful, and they're keeping things out. I think probably, you know, to end on a really uh, positive note, I think one thing that's very encouraging uh, to me is... 
more than any year since I've been doing this, uh, we have, uh, you know, we're working in 133 communities in uh, 28 different states right now. Mm -hmm. And we know of literally dozens of people that are running for office, uh, mm -hmm. from township supervisor to uh, county commissioner, mm -hmm. to state representative, to state senator. And basically, they have just had it. They don't think that anybody is listening to them or their concerns anymore. And so uh, it's a campaign that we refer to as Replace the Face. If the face isn't telling you what you need to hear or what you want to hear or what you believe this country should be like, then throw your hat in the ring and get out there and do it yourself. And, you know, and that is a good reminder to all of us, even though it's still a while away and we're still going to have to be beaten to death with political ads between now and November. It's uh, it's very, very important that everybody understands that this is, is a still a democracy and we make it work and we get the government that we deserve. So we have to get out there. If you if you are willing to do it, throw your hat in the ring at any level of government. Try to make a difference. And if not, uh, pick your candidates wisely mm -hmm. and uh, see who's bought and paid for your candidates. That's how I vote. You know, I don't care what they right. say. I, I go uh, down to Jeff City and I look and see where all their money came from. Wow. When you know where they're, when you know who's paying for them, you pretty much know how they're going to vote, regardless of what they're going to say. Yeah. So, make democracy count. You know, I mean, that's really what I end with, end with with everybody is just you got to make democracy count, America. Yeah, yeah. Right, and that's the socially responsible agricultural project. And I know you guys have some Facebook pages and web pages and such going on that people could Oh, could we got access. it all. Uh, if you just go to <laughs> sraproject.org, you'll find our Facebook link. Uh, we got Instagram. We've got uh, well, the stuff. I don't even know how to even use it. Uh, uh, Twitter account. We've got a Twitter account. Uh, but, yes, uh, we try to uh, make it as easy for folks to find us as possible. Yeah. When you go out, do you tweet, Scott? I do not tweet. Mm -hmm. I cannot ever see myself uh, being a, uh, a tweeter. No, no tweeting. Or I, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I do a little bit of Facebook, and I am learning to do Instagram because with six grandchildren, uh, I need to learn how to get better on my Instagram so I can see my grandkids' pictures more often. So. The music for this podcast comes from the recording Oh Freedom, Songs of the Civil Rights Movement by Chris Villillo in Macomb, Illinois.